Hello, this is Christy Bates of Oxford, Mississippi, welcoming you to this episode of the Deep South Dharma Podcast. You'll notice the podcast is a bit longer than usual this week. That's because there are several segments you'll be able to pick and choose. In one segment, I read to you large portions of the sutta that we're studying, which is the Majjhima Nikaya Sutta 62, in which the Buddha teaches his own son how to gain the most benefit out of mindfulness of breathing. And the teaching in this may surprise you. If you are interested in reading the entire sutta, all you need to do is go to a search engine on the internet, type in MN space sutta, S-U-T-T-A space 62, and it should take you um, to some translations you can use. But I do share um, a good bit of the sutta here on the podcast, along with some reflections and commentary Um, And then we shift into a segment in which we are doing some loving-kindness practice. Now, this is uh, because one of the things that really stands out to me in this sutta is that non-identification and loving-kindness are sort of the frame for the practice of the mindfulness of breathing. And in this sutta, there is sort of the, you see sort of the dichotomy between the Buddha's framing of mindfulness of breathing in this context of non-identification and universal goodwill versus um, Rahula's obviously well-intentioned preceptor Uh, going straight to talking just about mindfulness of breathing. So you you may find this interesting. When we shift into the guided practice for um, loving kindness meditation, just please keep in mind that you don't want to do that when you are using a motor vehicle. I mean, you can be sitting in a vehicle in your parking lot or parking space at work, but uh, just please don't be listening to it in a moving vehicle. And then, um, so with those uh, segments, the sutta reading, then the reflections on the sutta, and then thirdly, the guided meditation of loving kindness, um, you'll have your choice to do some or all to get the full podcast in. Now, just two quick announcements, um, really, before we shift into the reading of the sutta. The first is, some of you may already be aware, um, that we have, um, Deep South Dharma has paused our Wednesday night online book study. We are looking at how better to use that space to be connected and useful to our extended Sangha. It may be that we end up with some short series or courses even to offer through that Zoom link. But if you're not already subscribed to us, please do go to deepsouthdharma.org to subscribe. I send a very occasional newsletter when we make changes or updates to things, so you won't feel spammed, I promise. And uh, you can then be caught up when we do decide what next to do with that Wednesday night time slot or any other evening 
The other announcement I have is that I have more information about our retreat, which is coming up March 22nd, excuse me, 20th through 22nd. So it's Friday evening, March 20th to Sunday morning, March 22nd. That's 2020 this year. And it's going to take place at a place in Starkville, Mississippi called the Homestead Education Center. And I'm really excited about it. It's a beautiful spot. For more information about the retreat, though, and to actually register for the retreat, you'll need to go to floweringlotusmeditation.org. So that's written in as all one word, floweringlotusmeditation.org. And that will give you a bit of information about the topic, about me, if you don't <laughs> have enough of that already, and, um, and then and give you a chance to, to register. I would be delighted to have you there. I will also mention that there are there's only room for 22 people to be um, on site with us. So um, please do go ahead and get those registrations in. Now, if we end up having more than 22 people, um, there, Starkville has you know hotels, camping, so these other options are nearby. I can design things so that uh, there can be sort of the non-residential aspect if we happen to spill over 22 people. But if you want to be able to stay with us um, on the grounds, please do go ahead and get your registration in at floweringlotusmeditation.org. All righty. So we'll settle in now. Um, you may want to, whatever works for you when you're listening to somebody do um, a, a lengthy reading, uh, whatever it is that works for you, I do break it up quite a bit. And um, some of the, the repetition that is typical in the suttas because of the oral tradition that they are grounded in, um, there's often a lot of repetition and there are places where I cut through some of that. But you still may want um, to have the sutta in front of you um, on a screen or you may just want to take some notes if you're, um, if you're interested. Otherwise, just enjoy the reading and the reflections. If you have thoughts, questions, um, just commentary that you would like to make, please feel free to email us or uh, feel free to message us by voice at anchor.fm slash deepsouthdharma. Alrighty, we're going to shift gears now into beginning our reading. I'll share here some excerpts of the greater exhortation to Rahula. These excerpts are from Majjhima Nikaya 62, and you can read the entire thing simply by, you can go into a search engine and type in MN62, and you will find some versions online easily. I have heard that on one occasion, the Blessed One was staying near Sawati in Jada's Grove. 
Then the blessed one early in the morning adjusted his lower robe and taking his bowl and outer robe went into Sawati for alms or Sawati for alms. And venerable Rahula early in the morning adjusted his lower robe and taking his bowl and outer robe went into Sawati for alms following right behind the blessed one. Then the blessed one looking back at Rahula addressed him. Rahula, any form whatsoever that is past, future, or present, internal or external, blatant or subtle, common or sublime, far or near, every form is to be seen as it has come to be with right discernment as this is not mine, this is not myself, this is not what I am. Just form, O blessed one, just form, O one well gone. Form, Rahula and feeling, and perception, and fabrications, and consciousness. Then the thought occurred to Venerable Rahula, who, having been exhorted face to face by the Blessed One, would go into the town for alms today. So he turned back and sat down at the foot of a tree, folding his legs crosswise, holding his body erect, and establishing mindfulness to the fore. Venerable Sariputta, saw Venerable Rahula sitting at the foot of a tree, his legs folded crosswise, etc. On seeing him, he said, Rahula, develop the meditation of mindfulness of in-and-out breathing. The meditation of mindfulness of in-and-out breathing, when developed and pursued, is of great fruit, of great benefit. Then Venerable Rahula, emerging for his seclusion later in the evening, went to the Blessed One, and having bowed down to him, sat to one side. As he was sitting there, he said to the Blessed One, How, Lord, is mindfulness of in-and-out breathing to be developed and pursued, so as to be of great fruit or great benefit? The Buddha then gives Rahula the teachings on the basic properties that were described as making up the world. The earth property, the water property, the fire property, the wind property, and the space property. And he gives examples to Rahula on how each of these shows up in the makeup of the body. So for instance, bone, hair, skin, being of the earth quality of our bodies, the water property showing up as phlegm, pus, blood, sweat, fat, tears, oil, saliva, and so forth, as making up the water aspect of the body. The fire property being that which keeps the body warmed, um, that allows the body to digest food, that sort of thing. The wind property can be wind in terms of wind in the bowels or stomach, um, the breath, and the space property being that which is any space created in the body, so the insides of the nostrils, the holes of the ears, and so forth. All of these he illustrates and refers Rahula back to the first thing he said to Rahula earlier in the day, that he is to reflect on each of those elements and to recognize them, this is not mine, this is not myself, this is 
not what I am. And then he says further, and I'll pick up with some excerpts here, Rahula, develop meditation in tune with earth. For when you are developing the meditation in tune with earth, agreeable and disagreeable sensory impressions that have arisen will not stay in charge of your mind. Just as when people throw out what is clean or unclean on the earth, feces, urine, saliva, pus, or blood, the earth is not horrified, humiliated, or disgusted by it. In the same way, when you are developing the meditation in tune with earth, agreeable and disagreeable sensory impressions that have arisen will not stay in charge of your mind. And he gives the same advice in terms of all of the other properties. Develop the meditation in tune with water, just as when people wash what is clean or unclean in water, feces, urine, and so forth, the water's not horrified, humiliated, or disgusted. Develop the meditation in tune with fire, just as fire burns what is clean or unclean without being horrified, humiliated, or disgusted. Wind blows what is clean or unclean, is not horrified, humiliated, or disgusted. Lastly, just as space is not established anywhere, in the same way, when you are developing the meditation in tune with space, agreeable and disagreeable sensory impressions that have arisen will not stay in charge of the mind. Then after all of these teachings on non-identification, the Buddha turns toward the divine abodes. Develop the meditation of goodwill, for when you are developing the meditation of goodwill, ill will will be abandoned. Develop the meditation of compassion, for when you are developing the meditation of compassion, harmfulness will be abandoned. Develop the meditation of empathetic joy, for when you are developing the meditation of empathetic joy, resentment will be abandoned. Develop the meditation of equanimity, for when you are developing the meditation of equanimity, irritation will be abandoned. Develop the meditation on the unattractive. So this is another aspect of practice. When you are developing the meditation of the unattractive, passion or attachment will be abandoned. Develop the meditation of the perception of inconstancy. For when you are developing the meditation of the perception of inconstancy, the conceit I am will be abandoned. Develop the meditation of mindfulness of in-and-out breathing. Mindfulness of in-and-out breathing, when pursued, developed, when developed and pursued, is of great benefit, of great fruit. And then he goes forth to answer Rahula's question or to finish answer Rahula's question, specifically on mindfulness of in-and-out breathing. So now I'm going to read the second half of this sutta, but I'm going to actually switch translations just because I want you to see a slightly different wording. Um, we're shifting from Tanisaro Bhikkhu's translation of this Sutta 62 
to um, Bhikkhu Bodhi's translation. And I'll just back up just a little bit for you to hear the difference. Rahula, develop meditation that is like air rather than wind. For when you develop meditation that is like air, arisen, agreeable, and disagreeable contacts will not invade your mind and remain. Just as the air blows on clean things and dirty things, on excrement, urine, spittle, pus, and blood, and the air is not repelled, humiliated, and disgusted because of that, so too, Rahula, develop meditation that is like air. For when you develop meditation that is like air, arisen, agreeable, and disagreeable contacts will not invade your mind and remain. Develop meditation that is like space. For when you develop meditation that is like space, agreeable and disagreeable contacts will not invade your mind and remain. Just as space is not established anywhere in particular, so too, Rahula, develop meditation that is like space. For when you develop meditation that is like space, arisen, agreeable, and disagreeable contacts will not invade your mind and remain. Develop meditation on loving-kindness. So this is also another way of rendering metta, the word that earlier was translated as goodwill. Develop meditation on loving-kindness. For when you develop meditation on loving-kindness, any ill will will be abandoned. Develop meditation on compassion. For when you develop meditation on compassion, any cruelty will be abandoned. Develop meditation on altruistic joy. For when you develop meditation on altruistic joy, any discontent will be abandoned. Develop meditation on equanimity. For when you develop meditation on equanimity, any aversion will be abandoned. Develop meditation on foulness. For when you develop meditation on foulness, any lust will be abandoned. So this has to do with not becoming so attached to the body that you don't see its eventual, uh, its less attractive parts, that you don't fetishize parts of the body and forget that there are all these other parts that are not necessarily agreeable um, and that even the agreeable parts decay. Rahula developed meditation on the perception of impermanence. For when you develop meditation on the perception of impermanence, the conceit I am will be abandoned. Develop meditation on mindfulness of breathing. When mindfulness of breathing is developed and cultivated, it is of great fruit and great benefit. And how is mindfulness of breathing developed and cultivated so that it is of great fruit and great benefit? And so here finally, the Buddha gets to the instructions that Rahula probably thinks these were the instructions he was looking for, or at least maybe the ones that Sariputta might have started with. But after all of this preparation, after all of this groundwork, the Buddha gives these instructions. Here Rahula, a bhikkhu, a monk, gone to the forest or to the root of a tree or to an empty hut, sits down, having folded his legs crosswise, set his body erect, and established mindfulness in front of him, ever mindful he breathes in, mindful he breathes out. 
breathing in long, he understands I breathe in long. Or breathing out long, he understands I breathe out long. Breathing in short, he understands I breathe in short. Or breathing out short, he understands I breathe out short. He trains thus. I shall breathe in experience, I shall breathe in experiencing the whole body. He trains thus, I shall breathe out experiencing the whole body. He trains thus, I shall breathe in tranquilizing the body, the bodily formation. He trains thus, I shall breathe out tranquilizing the bodily formation. So some people render this as the recognition of tension. Anywhere that there's this sense of tension in the body, just allowing that to be released, relinquished. He trains thus, I shall breathe in experiencing rapture. He trains thus, I shall breathe out experiencing rapture. I shall breathe in experiencing pleasure. I shall breathe out experiencing pleasure. I shall breathe in experiencing the mental formation. I shall breathe out experiencing the mental formation. So that's whatever mental formation arises. He trains, I shall breathe in tranquilizing the mental formation. So allowing it to calm, not fixating on it, fighting with it. I shall breathe out tranquilizing the mental formation. So this is where we see how the earlier instruction on being learning to be like earth, water, fire, air, space allows people to allows us to tranquilize these formations that arise when we recognize we don't have to feel any kind of way about them any more than based on our judgments of whether they're clean or unclean or pleasurable or unpleasurable, that we can be like the elements and just let them go. He trains thus, I shall breathe in experiencing the mind. I shall breathe out experiencing the mind. I shall breathe in gladdening the mind. I shall breathe out gladdening the mind. I shall breathe in concentrating the mind. I shall breathe out concentrating the mind. I shall breathe in liberating the mind. I shall breathe out liberating the mind. I shall breathe in contemplating impermanence. I shall breathe out contemplating impermanence. He trains thus, I shall breathe in contemplating fading away. He trains thus, I shall breathe out contemplating fading away. He trains thus, I shall breathe in contemplating cessation. He trains thus, I shall breathe out contemplating cessation. He trains, I shall breathe in contemplating relinquishment. He trains, I shall breathe out contemplating relinquishment. So I'll just briefly say too that just as earlier he exhorted Rahula to develop meditation on loving kindness, these trainings are trainings. It's not, oh, one breath in, I do this, one breath out, I move to the next thing, and then the next breath in, I move out. These are trainings, and whatever, whichever of these trainings 
is suitable to meet the need of the moment um, is, is the one that we can use. Rahula, that is how mindfulness of breathing is developed and cultivated so that it is of great fruit and great benefit. When mindfulness of breathing is developed and cultivated in this way, even the final in-breaths and out-breaths are known as they cease, not unknown. So he's saying we can be fully awake and aware even as we breathe our exiting breath as we leave this realm, we leave this body. This is what the Blessed One said. The Venerable Rahula was satisfied and delighted in the Blessed One's words. So these are many, many trainings that have been listed for us uh, for the Buddha's son and luckily recorded for us. Um, and we are going to take just one of them today to work with. I do have a few remarks on the um, sutta itself before we turn our full attention to loving-kindness practice. There are a couple of things about this sutta that I want to mention or just that really catch my attention that I wanted to highlight before we get into specifics of just one of these practices for today. One thing is that the Buddha begins and ends his teaching on the development of meditation when he's speaking to his son anyway in this sutta. He begins and ends his teachings with reminders about non-identification and about qualities of heart. The instruction on Mindfulness of breathing is right there in the middle. Instruction on posture, that kind of thing. But the, the larger frame for the teaching is non-identification and development of heart qualities, development of goodwill. Another thing that captures my attention, you know, the, the fact that Rahula was so so psyched, so inspired that the Buddha turned around and on this morning walk toward town for alms to give his son some one-on-one -on -one instruction. Rahula is so excited by this that he forgoes, um, I don't know if he, he, if he did not eat for the day or, but at least he forgoes the uh, alms round. So it may be that that uh, he, he still got to eat as part of the community later. But this description makes it sound like that it would not be the case that he sat and practiced up until the evening. So he really took what the Buddha said about um, the reflection on voidness of um, the five aggregates of clinging recognizing them as not-self. This is not mine. I'm not that. This is not what I am. And he sat down with that with the intention to practice with that. 
And then Sarah Puta sees him sitting to practice and comes and, and gives him uh, the encouragement to practice with mindfulness of in and out breathing, he says. Now, Sarah Putra was not just interfering. He, My understanding is that he was Rahula's preceptor and um, so would have felt it his responsibility to give Sarah Putra something to work with during the day. Um, but then at the end of the day, when and I don't know if I'm just projecting this onto the text, but what what seems to me is that at the end of the day, uh, Rahula goes back to the Buddha and says, okay, now how is it, how is it that mindfulness of breathing developed and cultivated so that it's of great fruit and great benefit? Um, and so it, it may be that he had the impression that, you know, he was going to take what the Buddha said take Sarah, Sarah Puta's instruction and have a really dedicated day and, 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 and maybe didn't have the big breakthrough he was hoping for. Um, or maybe he just wanted to get further instruction. Um, but, but he went back to the Buddha for more on that. How is it that this mindfulness of breathing um, is of great fruit and great benefit? And that what's it's really um, meaningful to me that the Buddha begins by repeating um, beginning again with what he started teaching Rahula earlier in the morning and um, highlighting the um, the fact that what we encounter, what we encounter in life, but particularly for these purposes of meditation practice, what we encounter in our meditation practice need not horrify, disgust, or even humiliate us. Um, thoughts that arise, memories that arise, feelings or intentions that we feel are unworthy arise, and the recognition of these things as being not self is really valuable helps us let lay those aside, not feed them with any particular attention. Um, and then the movement from that in the Buddhist teaching to then listing the qualities that, that we've come to know as the divine abodes, the Brahma Viharas, the instruction to develop uh, metta, M-E-T-T-A in the Pali language, uh, sometimes rendered as goodwill, sometimes rendered as loving kindness. This is the practice we'll be working with today. So I want to say more about uh, meta practice. Um, just on a very sort of day-to-day -day, um, level, meta practice is very useful, particularly if you tend to if you, if you meditate when you're tired or you tend to get drowsy when you meditate, beginning with meta practice in the beginning can be very uh, brightening for the mind, very um, invigorating. And, um, and sometimes people will devote an entire sitting session 
to to loving kindness practice. Other times, you may want to begin with eight or 10 minutes or 15 minutes of loving kindness practice. And that just sort of gives you a a good somatic uh, experience to sit with uh, for um, being able to stay centered in the breath, but also aware of the whole body. So whether you use it for an entire session or just to begin a session, you can find it useful for establishing mindfulness. I also wanted to mention that um, on the on the topic of meta practice in and of itself, this is really um, has benefits beyond just preparing us for meditation or for brightening our meditation, um, it also helps us um, reduce our fear. Um, When we are focused on the development of goodwill, um, we are not walking around maybe (laughs) paranoid as we do when we're walking around with aversive thoughts, with judgmental thoughts, with thoughts about how we can compete to get something from somebody else. Um, When we're doing all of that kind of thing, we walk around assuming other people are doing the same. And, um, And sometimes when we're doing that kind of thing, we are involving ourselves with the kind of people who are doing that kind of thing. But when we are developed in an, uh, developing an ongoing practice of loving kindness, an ongoing project really of fully awakening, then we have a reduction of fear, partly based on what we're putting out into the world, but also because we're not running around with a guilty mind. The other benefit of meta practice, of loving kindness practice, really of all of the heart practices, but what we're going to work with today is is loving kindness practice. The other benefit is that it really does help to um, reduce or soften or these uh, sort of illusory um categories um, between ourselves and others. And and what I mean by that is, uh, you know, the sort of the classic framework is offering loving kindness toward oneself, then toward someone who is very easy to have goodwill for, then someone who's more neutral, then someone who's more difficult. And in the worldly way of looking at things, uh, sometimes this is seen as Oh, we begin with what's easy and go toward the hardest, um, or maybe even without recognizing it fully consciously, we start with, oh, you know, when we're going to those people that we like the best or those beings that we find it easiest to have goodwill toward, there's a sort of a sense of starting with the best and going toward the worst. And that's actually not a a 
wise perception for how to see that. Um, what we are working with is who's easy for us and who's difficult for us. But what the practice can help us do is to see that that's all that is, that some beings are easier for us to love and other beings are more difficult for us, but they are not less valuable nor less deserving of um, goodwill. So when we talk about goodwill, and you'll hear this in the phrases when we do some practice in a bit, we're recognizing that, that all beings have this really basic sense of wanting safety, sense of well-being, a sense of being at ease, uh, of, of having good health. All of those really um, fundamental basic wishes um, that underlie so many of our, so many of our misguided actions are an attempt to feel these things. Um, people chase money because they think that's going to give them safety or happiness uh, or ease. Um, people chase status often for those same reasons. So recognizing that these, that they're, that the, the, maybe the true goal, maybe the unacknowledged goal um, is the true goals are not mistaken. It may be that the strategies are quite mistaken, but the true goals of safety, well-being, health, and ease are not. Are not. And um, so when we can get to a place that we see all beings as those who, like ourselves, have these very basic wishes and needs, um, it really softens things up in a, in a positive way. It softens up those hard edges within ourselves that um, add to our own stress and pain and sense of isolation and our own sense of being cut off from other people. You know, I'm thinking of, um, there is a story of, uh, I have a, um, a younger daughter who is in recovery. She's very public about this. She's been, she's been featured in a, her local magazine, newspapers before. And so I'm not, I wouldn't share another person's story without them having already shared it. Um, but when she was struggling with addiction, there came a day that, um, I had a commitment, um, this was many years ago, 2010, I had a commitment to go um, facilitate a family weekend, um, a, a, luckily not an overnight, but just a, a full day experience um, for families that had come um, from many states away to do some work with their family members who were their loved ones who were in treatment at the, the place that I worked in Nashville at the time. And um, on the Saturday morning where I was going to be um, the facilitator on duty that morning and uh, woke up and my daughter was not home. And, um, and I, I didn't know where she had gotten up and gone to already 
but I knew it, things were getting really bad. Things were spinning out of control for her. And um, I felt this sense of uh, panic and feeling that, well, I need to do something about this. But of course, because I didn't know where she had gone, she was 17 at the time, um, I really didn't know what to do. Meanwhile, I was um, in an, in an hour needed to go, um, had this commitment. And, you know, I, I worked with some very um, kind people. I don't think anyone would have, um, some people certainly would have been inconvenienced, but they would have thrown something together and helped me out. Um, but in due to um, a great deal of practice that I had been doing that year, it really was clear to me, as upset as I was, and as frightened as I was, it was really clear to me that, okay, here's a situation where I don't know where my daughter is, and so I don't even know what could I do to be helpful right now. Meanwhile, I have these several families, many people who have come from other states, and the the very clear recognition that that made my decision for me about going into work that day was that and their family is equally as important as mine. You know, they they are as concerned about their loved ones in treatment as I was concerned about my daughter who was not yet in treatment. And um, and so that clarity calmed me down a little bit. I sort of, uh, you know, I, uh, on a phone call on the way to work, let a couple of friends know what was going on so that I wasn't isolating myself, but um, allowed that to sort of be bookmarked for the time being. Had um, had a great a great day with the families that came. Um, got to witness some moments and be part of some moments that I still benefit from and, and still have, have been able to benefit others by some of the things that I learned and uh, have since shared with others from that particular day. And we wrap up at five for the day or four maybe. And when I get about halfway home, I have a thought about where my daughter might be. Not sure, but I have a thought and I go into this very crowded festival type situation and recognize the car, park right next to her, wait for her to show up. As a result of events that happened there, two days later, I was taking her to treatment in Pennsylvania. So, one thing I want to be clear about is the moral of that story is not that the moral of that story is not in my mind is not something about, Oh, you know, I kept that commitment. And so I was rewarded by being able to find my daughter and being able to help her get to some safety. Um, and, um, and she's doing very well by the, these days, by the way, <laughs> I probably should mention. Um, but, but I do believe 
that for me, the moral of that story is that being able to have that moment of clarity was due to the practice that I had been doing, the recognition that other people's concerns meant every bit as much as mine. And so the only re, the only criteria in that moment for making a decision about what to do is what can I do? I wasn't the first thing in the morning able to think of anything I could do to help my daughter. I didn't even know where she was. Then in the afternoon, um, once I had had completed that commitment, gone to to be where I could be helpful with people that were seeking help and were driving a long way to get it. Um, I think what happened is that because my mind wasn't cluttered with the, the shame or guilt of having not done what I could do to be helpful to others, I think that just helped my mind be clear enough that when the thought, inspiration, whatever you want to call it, when that thought came about where I might find her. Now, certainly where I found her in the afternoon was not where she was first thing in the morning. But but I just think that because my mind was at ease by having done what was mine to do that day, I was able to have clearer connection to my intuition and and to be at the right place at the right time. So that's just a long way of saying that to me, meta practice, loving kindness practice, the practice of goodwill, this business of breaking down these false ideas about what should be important to me or most important or that kind of thing, those are not those were not relevant questions in this and that that loving kindness practice really helped me see that it's not just a little something we do to make ourselves feel good. It's not just a little thing we tack on to the end of a meditation session or the end of a retreat to give us a nice feeling. Although it certainly can have the side effect at times of giving us a nice feeling but the purpose of it is much bigger than that. I also want to draw from the um, Mahayana tradition for a moment to um, to talk about the metaphor of Indra's net. And um, to do that, I want to actually share um, Sharon Salzberg's uh, description of that um, in her memoir entitled Faith. This is just a brief paragraph. She says, one of the most brilliant and best known teaching metaphors in Mahayana Buddhism is that of Indra's net. Indra in ancient Vedic cosmology is the Lord of the firmament. His net is the universe, a net of infinite proportions. At every node where the strings of the net meet, there is a glittering, highly polished jewel. Each jewel reflects every other jewel in the net. To look at one jewel is to see them all as in a hologram. As the Avadamsaka uh, Sutra, an important Buddhist text, describes it, the process of reflection is infinite. In this view, to really see another person is to see ourselves, and to see ourselves 
is to see all beings. And I take that, um, and also by extension, not only is it that to, in seeing another person, we see all beings, in seeing ourselves, we see other people, but also that in practicing goodwill toward myself, I am in that moment doing so toward all beings. And when I practice goodwill toward all beings, I am in that moment doing so toward myself. So even though we seem to go down the line, one of the things is that when we practice this regularly, we start to recognize that whatever name, whatever face we may bring to mind during this practice, that we actually are doing it for the entire net of interbeing or interconnectedness of Indra's net. So I think we'll um, shift gears now and actually do um, this bit of um, loving kindness practice that I have recorded for you guys. You know, one of the uh, friends that practice with us in Oxford on Saturday morning said something that has really uh, started something for me. Uh, I'm not even, I, I'm not even sure where it will go yet, but um, I mentioned in group this morning, we practiced with this meditation and she asked if I was, if I would record it and uh, I shared that I was going to be doing so for this podcast. And, and so I would let her know when that came out. But I mentioned also that usually I don't record things on this podcast. Um, the I don't usually re record um, guided meditations, um, although they come up sometimes because there's just so much out there. Um, and I, I sort of have this feeling that it would be redundant, that kind of thing. And what she said was, well, but I know and trust you and there's so much out there, but I don't know who to trust. And so while certainly I mention people all the time, people whose books I reference, um, those kinds of things, people whose Dharma talks I reference, um, and that could give you some clues about who I trust. But the important thing that stood out to me about that was to recognize um, that, you know, as long as I'm not uh, taking credit or pretending that I made something up that I didn't make up, <laughs> that there's nothing, there's certainly nothing wrong with me using this podcast to introduce some meditations to people who maybe aren't getting that, aren't getting some of those tools from other places. And so, um, and of course, the nice thing with these podcasts is if you, if you come across something that is redundant for you, then you can certainly, you know, forward through it by, you know, anywhere from 10 to 20 to 30 minutes, however long it is, um, to get to something, to get to a part of it that is of interest to you. Um, so anyway, that, that may affect some change in, in what I do with some of these podcasts um, at the very least, I may have some guided meditations recorded for you here a bit more often as a result. We'll see what else comes from that. Okay, 
So now we actually will shift gears to, um, to some guided loving kindness practice. And um, as always, I want to encourage you to um, either email our, your comments or questions or feel free to leave voice messages for us at anchor.fm slash deep south dharma. Thanks. So this is a time that it's particularly useful to be sure that the body is reasonably comfortable, however much you can manage that, while being able to be alert. You want the skeleton, the chair, the cushion, the floor, wherever you are, to be doing the work so that the, the muscles of the body, particularly the face, the neck and shoulders, the belly can be relaxed. If you're sitting up, you may want to play with the tilt of your head a bit to sort of find the place where you're not uh, clenching your jaw, where you're not pulling on your neck. You may just want to tuck your chin in just a little bit. And also being sure that your arms are resting close enough to the body so that you're not pulling at your shoulders and neck. Allowing yourself a few breaths. Allowing yourself to really feel that support of the ground underneath you, whatever furnishings are supporting you. The breath entering and exit the body, the temperature of the air on your face and hands. And for the purposes of this practice, allowing your attention to be forward, so maybe not fully centered, but being forward in the body so that you're aware of the skin of the face, the neck and chest, the belly. Finding a resting place for your attention. Where you can stay aware, alert to the activity of this emotional center. So maybe it's the rise and fall of the chest. Maybe it's the expansion and contraction of the belly. So in all of the different aspects of this particular session of meta practice, 
You want to return to this place in the body when you find yourself absent or gone somewhere else. But we have this additional anchor of the repetitive phrases that we'll use. So being aware of the breath, being aware of the activity of the emotional center of the body, and being aware of the phrases and the effect of the phrases on the body. So as we said earlier, letting thoughts come and go, emotions come and go, just like the earth isn't degraded, disgusted, horrified, concerned, Water is not degraded, disgusted, horrified, concerned. Fire, space. None of those elements are essentially changed by what they come in contact with. So as you're utilizing this practice to sort of flush out whatever needs purification, staying in close contact to the body, to the breath, and this remembrance that these experiences are not yourself. The intentions of your practice, of this particular practice, have more to do with you as you're choosing to show up in the world. So beginning in the classic manner by recognizing and feeling into that deep wish for safety, for a sense of happiness and well-being, that ability to be at ease in your own skin even if a, if a particular situation is not easy, that wish we all have to be able to be at ease with ourselves in that situation. Just seeing what that feels like in the body and maybe even bringing to mind a situation where you do experience ease, a lightness of being, a sense of safety and joy. As you notice what that feels like, just as much as possible, allowing that feeling to spread throughout the body, having the intention to sort of bathe yourself in that as you use these phrases. May I be safe. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I be at ease. May I be safe. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I be at ease. 
May I be safe, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I be at ease. Always returning to the breath, to the body, to the remembrance of these words. May I be safe, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I be at ease. If it's useful to you to imagine looking at a picture of yourself that you appreciate, or if you struggle somehow with getting a picture of yourself as you are now, even remembering a beloved picture of yourself as a child, or a picture that you want to be able to love of yourself as a child. And seeing in that face, the face of a human being just like all human beings who has these wishes. May I be safe, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I be at ease. Noticing what you feel in the throat, the chest, the belly. May I be safe, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I feel at ease. And then allowing yourself to bring to mind the image or name, picture, or the felt sense of some being that is extremely easy for you to to love or to experience goodwill toward. So in this category, we're not looking for, for anyone that you might have romantic interest in. We're looking for that sense of ease of finding goodwill that doesn't really need anything. 
So it may be a whole category of beings like your children or your pets if you have more than one. Or it may be someone who has been unequivocally good to you. Where what the appreciation, the gratitude, the love you feel for them is not complicated. Maybe it's a being you pray to or someone whose work has given you a sort of a true north or a, a guiding a guiding light to go by. So you don't have to know them personally. So whatever being you choose to work with, just noticing what you feel through this whole heart-centric area of the body as you bring to mind that being. Noticing the effect on the body as you say to them, may you be safe, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be at ease. May you be safe, may you be happy, may you be healthy, May you be at ease. Just repeating that silently in your mind. Staying in touch with what it feels like physiologically. May you feel may you safe, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be at ease. And while continuing these good wishes, perhaps letting go of the image of this person or being or pet that is, or category of persons, beings, or pets, I'm still maintaining that direct experience of your goodwill toward them. saying goodbye to those for now with a mental wave, a bow, a hug, a handshake, whatever's appropriate. Enjoying that releasing breath.
And then allowing your mind to choose. Now this time we will designate a person, the word person. Um, so I'm going to ask you to choose a person that you don't have particularly strong feelings for either way. So classically, we just refer to this as the neutral person, but it's actually not the person who's neutral. <laughs> it is our reaction to them. So this may be somebody that is maybe just a neighbor that you don't know very well. Maybe you just wave from the driveway or in the parking lot. As you go into your home, it may be somebody who waits on you regularly and their face has become familiar. There's maybe a little polite chit chat, but there's no strong positive or negative feeling. So really use this moment to allow yourself to become fully aware of this person as someone like yourself, as someone who, like you, has worries, has certain stressors, has to deal with all it takes to provide upkeep of a body. A family, a job, a person who maybe has wishes for places that they would like to travel or loved ones they would like to see, or heartaches that they don't share with anyone. So as you imagine getting, getting a good clear picture of that person, imagine looking into their eyes and recognizing that as one human to another, you can know all of this without knowing any of the details. Just notice what that feels like in your body to let that really land. With that realization, offering your goodwill to this person, may you be safe, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be at ease. May you be safe, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be at ease. Just noticing what that feels like, particularly in your throat, chest, belly. May you be safe, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be at ease.
in with kindness, saying goodbye for now, letting go of that image of this person you feel neutral toward, maybe a little less neutral now. Saying goodbye until you see them again. Taking a moment to notice what you experience in the body. particularly along the front of the body, this whole heart-centric area, all the way to the pit of your stomach. And it's perfectly okay at any time to return to Sending that goodwill toward yourself. May I be safe. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I be at ease. And then when you feel ready, allowing yourself, this is going to take some discernment on your part to choose who to work with allowing yourself to bring to mind a person that is more difficult for you. Now, if you haven't done much of this type of work at all, you don't start with the person that's done you the most harm ever. You may want to start with just somebody that's kind of annoying to you, that maybe you have a habit of of, um, considering them an obstacle to things that you want to get done, in a day, or um, maybe you don't particularly enjoy their humor or something like that. So you can start with those sort of mildly aversive feelings. But if you've done quite a bit of this work and you want to sort of stretch your awareness a little further, you can choose somebody that's done you some harm. Just recognizing recognizing that it is safe to wish well-being even toward those who have done us harm. I mean, maybe the, the crassest way to put it would be to say, if this person who'd done you harm truly had had a sense of safety, health, happiness, and ease, they might not have, or absolutely would not have felt a need to cause harm to you. And so we're not talking about letting anybody live in your house that isn't a safe person to live in your house, for instance, but we're talking about being able to recognize that there is safety in having goodwill literally toward all beings. 
noticing what you feel in your own body as you bring that difficult person, whether just annoying or harmful person, to mind. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you be at ease. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you be at ease. Just staying in touch with that repetition of words, with the effect on the body, with the breath, with the safety that you are experiencing in this very moment. Even as you face a difficult person, may you be safe, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be at ease. And if working with that person brings you out of balance, it's perfectly fine if you need to pendulate between wishing them well and wishing yourself well. It's a powerful practice to do this enough that you begin to recognize that goodwill anywhere is good for you. And goodwill for yourself is good anywhere. Allowing yourself also to bring to mind those who are supporters for you through difficult circumstances, recognizing that these people too also have their own concerns. They also have the same needs you have, even the same needs as this difficult person that the heart has. May we all be safe. May we be happy. May we be healthy. May we be with ease. And in fact, even as you face this person who's difficult for you, allowing your awareness to just fill up with the beings in your life that are supportive. May we all be safe. May we be happy. May we be healthy. May we be at ease. 
Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Deep South Dharma Podcast. We hope you'll feel welcome to share this with anyone you think would find it useful. And as always, feel free to message us your feedback, questions, or topics of interest. Until we meet again, take good care of this body, mind, and heart.